Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. As the kids are uh, making their way out, I just want to first introduce myself. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and Merry Christmas uh, to everyone. We're so glad uh, you're here today. And I do want to acknowledge our Seeds ministry and just the, the wonderful job they did. I, I've seen these videos multiple times this week, but as I was watching it this morning, I was getting tears in my eyes because there's something about children in Christmas. There's something about childlike faith and wonder that the Christmas season invites us into. So I just want to encourage us as adults and youth to enter into that wonder and that curiosity of Christmas. And I also want to acknowledge District 211 in Schaumburg High School. It was iffy for a while whether we were going to have a building for our Christmas service. And, uh, you know, like Mary and Joseph, there was no room in the inn. That could have been our story uh, here on Christmas Sunday. So we're just really thankful that uh, they allow us to meet here and for their hospitality. Uh, I want to begin by reading from Luke chapter 1. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. I'm going to start in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. I really do love the Christmas season. I love the decorations, uh, the lights, the Advent activities, the traditions, and Christmas music. But there's one uh, marker for me every Christmas season, and it's a very spiritual, kind of super holy thing, and that thing is Christmas cookies. See, I think Christmas cookies is one of my love languages, and Yvonne knows it. So every day, it seems like, I come home from work, and she's baking more and more Christmas cookies. It's like a nonstop Advent activity in our house. There are so many Christmas cookies everywhere. Uh, About a month ago, Yvonne set up a card table in our kitchen, and it's like a Christmas cookie command station. 
with baking supplies and utensils. And I've learned, she hasn't said anything, but I've learned, do not touch this table. It is holy ground. There was an incident a couple weeks ago, and uh, she had baked about four dozen of a certain variety of cookie cookies, and I can't resist. You know, they're just laying there stacked up. Um, so I helped myself, and I realized like she's counting the number of cookies every time she's making them. So a little bit later, she asked me in a very nice way, "Did you have any of the Christmas cookies?" And I'm like, "Yes, I had a few." And you realize few is a very non-declarative statement about the number of cookies that I had. I have one here. This is one of my favorites. Hershey Kiss with a chocolate cookie base. So Christmas cookies. Imagine with me, let's use our imagination for a second, that I take this Christmas cookie and I hide it somewhere here in the Schaumburg Auditorium. And I hide it very well so the maintenance staff cannot find it. And about a year later, we come here for another service. And what would happen to this Christmas cookie? This is not a, a trick question. Well, one, it would be a waste of a very good Christmas cookie. But the second thing is, it would get stale, right? It would get stale. Out of sight leads to staleness. When something is left unattended to or forgotten about, over time, it grows stale. And when it comes to our spiritual lives and our relationship with Christ, we can get so caught up in the hustle and bustle, the daily grind, that Jesus gets pushed away, out of the way, pushed aside. He becomes a Sunday-only thing, And even then, we aren't sure if we're really seeing him rightly. When we don't see Jesus, when he is out of sight for us, he can become stale to us. Now hear me clearly. I'm not saying Jesus is stale. I'm saying our experience of him becomes stale when we don't encounter him. And for some of us, maybe it's been a long time since we have seen and experienced Jesus. And my hope and prayer this morning is that God would break in to any places of spiritual staleness in us, and he would bring us into a fresh encounter to be able to see and to know Jesus for who he really is. So with that, I just want to pray for us. Father, I pray that you would reveal the glory of your Son to us. God, that you would open our eyes this morning where there is fogginess. God, you would help us to see Jesus in a blinding way that is so good for us. So, Father, reveal the glory and the wonder of your Son to us this morning. We pray your spirit would work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to zoom in on verses 26 through 33 in Luke 1. So picking it back up in verse 26. 
the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting might this be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The angel Gabriel is sent by God to deliver this great news to Mary about what is to come. And as I was thinking and reflecting about Gabriel, my mind went to some places of curiosity and wonder. And I think it's okay and it's actually good for us when we come to the Word of God to imagine and to wonder what was going on. How did God choose Gabriel of all the angels? He has been selected for one of the most important assignments in human history, to tell Mary about the birth of Jesus. Were there auditions? Angels got talent? Was there an angel school and Gabriel was top of the class? And what was the process of communication? Was Gabriel given a script of what to say and did he have to practice and memorize it? And think about this, he had thousands of years to probably get this down. And if so, I can imagine God being there in that moment with Gabriel and thinking, Gabriel, stick to the script. This is too important. No ad-libbing right now. One day, maybe we'll find out how this all went down. So after offering a greeting and then calming Mary down, who's probably in a state of shock, Gabriel gets right to the point. There's no thorough explanation or background information here. You will conceive and give birth to a son. I mean, I like direct to the point communication, but this is jaw-dropping news that Gabriel's giving Mary. This young virgin girl will conceive and give birth to a baby boy. This is a lot for Mary to take in, in this moment. We'll come back to Mary in a little bit, but I really want to center in now on what Gabriel speaks about Jesus. And one of the things that really stood out to me as I was reading this passage is that these are the first words ever spoken directly about Jesus in the New Testament era. And I had never thought about this before. And first impressions... And first words, they really matter. I've learned that over time. What we experience about a person in that first encounter stays with you for a long time. And these first words about Jesus are full of some weight. They're full of some pop. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great will be called the Son of the Most High. In these words about Jesus, there's this beautiful intersection of the ordinary and the extraordinary. The intersection of earthly things 
and heavenly things. Earthly things, carrying a child in your womb, giving birth to a son, giving him a human name, Jesus. These are the very normal, natural human elements in this encounter. And then there are heavenly things here. You will conceive while being a virgin. Your son will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. Those are the unexplainable, heavenly, supernatural elements in this encounter. It's a reminder to us that the Christian faith, our relationship with God, is all about living in the intersection of these two worlds, of the earthly, human, ordinary things, and the invisible, and eternal, and heavenly things. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Mary, this Son to be born to you is no ordinary child. He will be great. No because, no list of reasons why he will be great here. Just a declarative statement about the greatness of Jesus. Jesus will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And this phrase is indicating the absolute uniqueness and highness of his divine sonship. Jesus will surpass and be exalted over all. It's so easy for us right now to nod our heads in agreement, to let these words casually pass through our minds and our hearts. But we need to stop. And we really need to pay attention here. Jesus is great. Jesus is the most high. I find these words from A.W. Tozer to be incredibly helpful. Always remember, God is bigger than anything God can say. Because words are inadequate to express God and what he can do. Any promise that God ever made, God has to overfill it. The reason being that God is so great, his heart so kind, his desire so intense that language cannot express it. Neither Greek nor English nor any other language can adequately express God and his promises. Language cannot express the magnitude of the greatness of Jesus Christ. Words have a limit when trying to describe, trying to qualify who Jesus really is. I mean, great and most high, no doubt, are helpful, but they just scratch the surface of the unbelievable supreme status of Jesus and his worthiness. 93 million miles away, a star, a ball of gas exists with a mass of 330,000 times that of Earth. That is really, really big. It currently fuses about 600 million tons of hydrogen into helium every second. I have no idea what that means, but it sounded really cool, so I put it in there. These are numbers that our mind can't comprehend. And I can keep rattling off stats 
that I don't know much about and are beyond the scope of my intellect for sure. But to say the sun is a powerful energy source doesn't do justice to reality. But beyond the facts and the figures is our personal experience. When the sun is unblocked by clouds, it is a force to behold. You can feel the warmth of the sun on your face even though it's 93 million miles away. You cannot look directly at it for too long because of its power and its greatness. Without clouds, without hindrance, you can't see the sun as anything other than great and powerful, right? You can't just say, I don't feel like the sun is very powerful. It doesn't work. It is great and powerful. And to really see Jesus, to really truly see Jesus, you can only see and experience him as great and most high. There is no other way to see him and to know him. He can't be known and experienced as anything less than what he is. His greatness doesn't ebb and flow. His greatness doesn't waver by the events of this world. And this is important. His greatness doesn't change based on how you feel about him. According to the word of God, his greatness is not up for debate. Jesus is great. He can only be seen and known as great. And the wonderful and really most amazing thing is that God wants us to know the greatness of his son, Jesus. Not just from data, not just from words, but in a personal way. And this is what the Christmas story is all about. God with us. Emmanuel. God came near by sending his son to be born and enter the human story. God is reaching out to us personally. And he wants us to know his son in an intimate and real way. Eugene Peterson writes, God does not reveal himself impersonally. God does not give himself to us as a thing or an idea or a project, but personally, with all the intimacies that are involved in being personal. You know, I look back on my life, and I'm so thankful for the ways that I've gotten to see and to know Jesus personally. I'm not done yet, for sure. There's so much more I need to see and to know about him. But as I was preparing this message, man, I just remembering, I can only see Jesus as great and most high. And when you really see him, when you really see him, you realize he is worth everything. He is worth it all. To those of you who might be here and this Jesus stuff is all new to you, or as I'm talking about Jesus, you're just puzzled and trying to figure out what's going on, and that's totally okay. And I want, you, I want to tell you, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. 
I believe God has you here for a reason this morning. And I can't emphasize this enough. Jesus is worth exploring. He really is. You won't regret getting to know more about Jesus personally. And whether you're new to this or you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, I think each of us can pray a prayer of simple invitation to him. Something like this. Jesus, show me who you are personally. I really want to see and to encounter you. Jesus, I'm not sure exactly what I'm asking here, but I want to see and I want to know you. Will you show me your greatness? Will you show me that you are most high? I believe this is an authentic, real prayer that God would be delighted to hear from us. And just to keep praying it often, not once, but time and time again, and see what God will do in time to show you who Jesus really is. And for those of you who say you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to ask yourself some questions to dig into this a little bit more. When was the last time you really saw Jesus as being who he truly is? That is great. When was the last time you encountered Jesus as great and most high? And then when, when and why has Jesus stopped being great to you? Did something happen to cause you to question his greatness? Man, pain and disappointment can be the real clouds that block us from seeing Jesus rightly. We have to acknowledge that and ask God to help us through that because we're missing out when we don't see Jesus rightly. And my prayer is that this Christmas, we would truly see Jesus for who he is. And he is great. He is the most high. So moving on in in Luke 1. So Gabriel continues in speaking about Jesus to Mary. Verse 32. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. For Mary, I imagine hearing the names David and Jacob from Gabriel were helpful and even comforting. In the midst of this incredible news, these two names probably triggered some bells for her, connected some of the dots. She would be familiar with the stories of David and Jacob's lives in Israel's history. And she was probably aware of the promise given to David, the great king of Israel. In 2 Samuel 7, God gave this promise to David. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. It was from David's line that the promised Messiah was expected to come from. And the people of Israel were waiting for the coming king. And now Mary's hearing this news from Gabriel, and she's being told that her son Jesus would fulfill the hopes and promises that God made to Israel. This child would be the king who will reign forever. His kingdom will never end. 
As Mary watches Jesus' life unfold, I'm sure she had lots of questions and even doubts. A mother sees and knows their child usually better than anybody else. And I imagine for Mary, as she's watching Jesus grow up, she was probably at times scratching her head thinking, what kind of king is my son? And she probably went back to this moment with Gabriel and wondered, did I hear right? He said my son would be a king and that my son would have a kingdom. As Mary was carrying Jesus in her womb, I'm sure she had doubts about herself, even pre-mommy guilt. Who am I to be carrying this expected king? Look at me. I'm nobody special. What kind of king can this really be? She gives birth to Jesus, not in a palace or even in a decent home, but in a place where there's no crib. She has to put her newborn son in an animal's feeding trough. What kind of king is this? As Jesus grows up, he takes on his father's trade as a carpenter, stonecutter. I'm sure there are times that Jesus came home from long day's work. Mary looks at her son and he is exhausted. He's dirty. He's smelly. Carpenter. And she wonders, what kind of king is this? Jesus eventually leaves home around age 30. He hits the road, he begins teaching, and crowds begin to follow him. And Mary begins to think, surely this is it. This is the beginning of my son being a a king and having a kingdom. But a few years later, her son would be arrested, stand trial, be brutally beaten. And then Mary experiences any parent's nightmare. She would watch her son hanging on a Roman cross. No decent parent wants to watch their child suffer. Let a mom be tortured and die through execution. And Mary's watching her son breathe what she thinks is his final breath. And there's probably agony and anger in that moment. And she thinks, what kind of king is this? A king without a palace? A king without an army? A king who doesn't wield a sword? A king born in the lowliest of places? And a king who dies in the most humiliating way? What kind of king is this? Jesus. Jesus is the king who would build his reign and his rule through sacrificial love. Oh yes, he had power. Power to heal the sick, restore the sight of the blind, make the lame walk. And he had power to conquer the grave and to rise again. But the hallmark of his kingdom would be selfless 
sacrificial love. The God who reigns is the God who gives out of love. He gave his son out of love. And his son established his kingdom through generous, costly, for the sake of us, love. His sovereign rule would not be built through the powers of men, but his reign would be established through a kingdom centered on love and peace and hope. And he would prove and seal his kingship through victory over death, victory over sin, victory over the grave. Jesus, there is no greater name. Jesus, there is no greater king. The kingdom of Christ, there is no greater kingdom. And you and I, you and I were made to know this king. We were created to experience the reign of Jesus in our lives. One of the real visible demonstrations of Jesus' kingship is when a single person encounters and sees the greatness of Jesus in a personal way. And Jesus takes over their heart. He takes over their life. And that is our hope and prayer as a church that you and I would know and personally experience Jesus for yourself. And you would invite Jesus' loving rule over your life. Not just for one day, not just for one moment, but again and again, every day, asking Jesus, Jesus, be the king of my life. Jesus, reign over me. Whether you're young or old, single or married, rich or poor, you were created to know and experience Jesus as your king and leader. There's no better life than to live under his loving kingship. And our response to Jesus' greatness and his reign is to simply open our hearts and our lives up to him to surrender everything to him and to worship him above anything else. I truly believe that this world aches and longs for Jesus in his kingdom. And we need to remember, even in this broken and fallen world, Jesus still reigns. He still sits on the throne of his kingdom. And his kingdom will not fail. His kingdom will endure forever. For Christmas, you might get that thing on your wish list that you really want. You might have some wonderful times with family and friends celebrating the season, eating a few Christmas cookies and joy. You might get some time to just rest and breathe a little bit. Enjoy all that. Those are very good things. Those are gifts from God. But please remember that the greatest Christmas gift is to see. To really see and to know Christ and to experience his loving rule in your life. And many of us have already found this to be true and we have so much to be grateful for. So this Christmas, 
May you see, maybe for the first time, or see again in fresh ways, that Jesus is great. That Jesus is the Most High. He cannot be seen any other way. And there's no one who is worthy like him. And Jesus reigns forever. He is still on the throne. And he is a good king. And his kingdom is built on love. Generous and powerful, sacrificial love. So to Jesus, the greatest king, be honor and glory forever and ever. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.